Please pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. A New Yorker cartoon shows two scruffy-looking dogs looking at a ridiculously groomed poodle being walked on the leash by a well-dressed woman. One says to the other, you can't argue with success. The old cliché means that even if you thought some other tactic or strategy might have worked better, you should go with what actually gets you what you want even a ridiculous poodle haircut. It is indeed hard to argue with success. But in the passage in the ninth chapter of Mark's Gospel today, Jesus takes it on. The chapter begins with a glorious vision, what we call the transfiguration. Three of the disciples see Jesus on a mountaintop, talking with Moses and Elijah, and they hear a voice coming out of a cloud. This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him, says the voice. The disciples better understand who Jesus really is, and they must have started thinking in terms of what sort of power and glory was in it for them. But Jesus orders them to say nothing to anyone. And then for the second time, Jesus tells them that betrayal and death are in his future. We don't know if some of them finally heard that last line about rising again or if they're simply in utter denial about the betrayal and death part. But on the road back to Capernaum, a few of the disciples begin to dream of being in high places with Jesus. Once they get home, Jesus asks, what were you arguing about on the way? But he already knows. He sits down and tries again to get through to his disciples. Whoever wants to be first must be last of all and servant of all. They'd argued about who was greatest of all, and Jesus called them to be last of all. No wonder they were silent. Their eyes started to glaze over, maybe just like ours, because we've heard these opposites before. To save your life, you have to lose your life, To be first, you have to be last. To be great, you have to be a servant. Jesus was always talking this way. But it is hard to argue with success. It is difficult to tear ourselves away from the conventional definitions of what greatness is, what success is, who is important. We don't really believe the meek inherit the earth. People in our culture measure success in ways in which we and Marin are very familiar. Where you live, what you drive, who you know, where you went to school, how much money you make, the degrees that follow your name, how many times your name pops up when you look yourself up on Google. We live in a very competitive, status-conscious society. I confess I've had my own challenges in this department, and I've shared this with some of you, but it's been a while, so I'm going to tell the story again. After my younger daughter, Rebecca, was born, I took a leave of absence from the Department of Justice. I had two little girls at home, and I was thinking about staying at home with them for a while. I was considering this when I was invited to a party 
at the home of a lawyer friend. I knew that someone would eventually ask me the standard 1980s yuppie party question, what do you do? I resolved I was really intentional about this. I'd made up my mind before I went to the party to answer, I'm a stay-at-home mom, just to try it on. At the party, I found myself in a conversation with three people I didn't know. One was a neurosurgeon. No kidding. One was a biophysicist who had just returned from a fascinating convention in Geneva where he'd presented an important paper. The third was something equally impressive. I don't even remember what, because at that point I was petrified of the inevitable question which came just moments later. One of them turned to me and said, and what do you do? Without missing a beat, I said, I'm a trial attorney with the Department of Justice, Land and Natural Resources Division. I'm in timber litigation, which was technically true because I was on leave of absence. The good thing that came out of this was that I heard myself. I heard my own attachment to the job title. And it was the beginning of the long discernment process that brought me here. Why was I concerned about impressing these people I didn't even know? Why did the disciples argue about who was the greatest? Maybe it's because there are so many humbling experiences in life. Or maybe we're afraid to be insignificant. We're afraid to be less than. Because we live in a world in which insignificance, being less, having less, means being vulnerable. It is hard to argue with success. And Jesus can see that the disciples don't get it. So Jesus takes a child, a little child, and puts the child in the midst midst of them. Now, you might wonder why it just so happened that there was a child handy. In first century Palestine, there were almost always children handy. Children were a part of the fabric of life. And generally, they were allowed to roam freely in and out of people's homes and workplaces. They served as neighborhood communication links. I can imagine a first-century child reporting what's happening over at the neighbor's house, just like kids do today. Maybe something like, Joshua's dad got a new camel. (laughs) But children had no status. They were little more than their father's property. They didn't count, quite literally. In the stories of the feeding of the crowds with the loaves and fishes, three out of the four Gospels tell how many men were present, but don't mention women and children who were most certainly there. Children were socially invisible. But Jesus sees the child, and Jesus wants the disciples to see the child. He wants us to see the child, too, and welcome the child, not because the child is innocent, or perfect, or pure, or cute, or curious, or naturally religious. Jesus wants them to welcome the child because the child was at the bottom of the social heap. Children in Mark are not symbols of holiness or innocence. More often, they're victims of poverty and disease. Jesus brings the child from the margins into the very center. This child is not a symbol, but a person a little person easily overlooked, often unseen, and unheard. 
and at the same time a stand-in for all the people at the bottom of the heap, regardless of age. But surely we are different, at least when it comes to children, right? We value children in church and society, right? Well, it's hard to argue with success. Madeline Levine, a Marin child psychologist and the author of The Price of Privilege, published another book just this past July. It's called Teach Your Children Well, Parenting for Authentic Success. A reviewer writes, Levine's latest book is a passionate outcry from a clinician on the front lines of the battle between our better natures. Parents' deep and true love and concern for their kids and our culture's worst competitive and materialistic influences, all of which she sees played out day after day in her private psychology practice in affluent Marin County, California. Levine works with teenagers who are depleted, angry, and sad as they compete for admission to a handful of big-name colleges, and with parents who can't steady or guide them. So lost are they in the pursuit of goals that have drained their lives of pleasure, contentment, and connection. Our current version of success is a failure, she writes, It's a damning and altogether accurate clinical diagnosis, concludes the book reviewer. After all, as Levine notes, the inconvenient truth remains that not every child can be shaped and accelerated into Harvard material, but all kids can have their spirits broken, depression-induced, and anxiety-stoked by too much stress, too little downtime, and too much attention given to external factors that make them look good to an audience of appraising eyes but leave them feeling rotten inside. Our culture has turned kids into symbols of our success, into one more thing that makes us look good. In so doing, we fail to see them And according to Levine, our children are living in a world that is not simply oblivious to their needs, but is actually damaging them. I know there are some who would dismiss this as a first world problem, a problem of the well-off. After all, there are parts of the world where there's a 44% infant mortality rate. We need to see those children too. But the two problems are not unrelated, not at all. When the cost of our cultural definition of success is not only our children's mental health, but a perpetuation of the values about wealth and success that allow so many of the world's children to suffer unimaginable deprivation. It is hard to argue with success. But the church is one of the few places where that argument is supported and ongoing because Jesus tells us not to settle for success, but rather to go for greatness. In a book called Raising Kids for True Greatness, Tim Kimmel explains the difference between success and greatness. Success looks inward. True greatness looks upward, then outward. 
Success is about my agenda. True greatness is about God's agenda. Success accommodates selfishness. True greatness celebrates altruism. Success is about receiving. True greatness is about giving. Success worships what it sees in the mirror. True greatness grieves over what it sees through its windows. Success pays off now. True greatness pays off forever. Kimmel summarizes, true greatness is a passionate love for God that demonstrates itself in an unquenchable love and concern for others. We all want our kids to be safe, happy, and free from want or worry. There's not a parent on the planet who loves his or her child who does not want that. We all want our kids to learn how to work hard and make sacrifices. The question is, for what purpose? To what end? To increase their status? Or ours? their parents, or to make the world a better place for success or greatness. Doing well, pursuing excellence, even earning a good salary, these are worthy goals for our children as long as we and our kids don't confuse the trappings of success, wealth and fame and power, with true greatness which includes recognizing that the gifts that we have come from God and that we are to use them to bring God's love and justice and peace to a hurting world. On Friday, Diana and I drove for hours and hours and hours to McKinleyville, north of Eureka, to a presbytery meeting. A young woman was moved from the first stage of the ordination process to the second stage, which means people got to ask her questions from the floor. The young woman, Hannah Dreitzer, described how she calmed herself in preparation for this grilling. She watched a video of her baptism, which was performed by her grand I'm gonna tear up here, it was performed by her grandfather, Howard Rice a former seminary professor and former moderator of our denomination. His prayer for her as he held her, a tiny vulnerable infant, was that she would know herself. Hannah explained that growing up in Marin, as she did, you had to know yourself in order to keep going to church when others treat that as irrelevant and even weird. You have to know yourself in order to choose greatness over success. And the only way our children will know themselves is if we see them, not as symbols of our success, but as people, people with unique gifts given by God to serve God and God's people. This is a call to us, a challenge to us here at First Presbyterian Church And I imagine this as just the beginning of a larger conversation, not only here, but beyond our doors somehow, because this isn't just about our children, First Presbyterian Church's children, or even just San Anselmo children. It is indeed about how our definition of success can damage not only our kids' 
but the children and the vulnerable in the whole world. It is hard to argue with success. And so we need to help each other. We need to support families in distinguishing between mere success and greatness. We need to value our children, encourage their gifts, and celebrate their successes, but even more celebrate that they are beloved children of God regardless of their achievements. And find ways to teach them to value the least, the last, the vulnerable, and to know themselves so that they can argue with success. That is my prayer. Amen.